Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 315 of the Extraordinary Moms podcast. It's Jessica, and I am so very glad you're here today. We have a really, really beautiful, touching episode for you featuring my guest, Lila Francese. She is the mother to a beautiful daughter and now a bonus mom to her nephew, Matson, who was an integral part of her life all growing up. But when her sister, Carolyn, was diagnosed with a rare brain tumor, Lila took on a dual parenting role while she was sick in treatment, making sure that her eight-year-old son's life continued on as happily as possible considering the circumstances. And when unfortunately she passed away, she did take over the primary mothering role of Madison. So we're going to talk about the sweet relationship she had with her sister, why she felt that responsibility to step up as a bonus mom to her nephew, and she wrote a new book called The Situation, A Radical Journey Through Sisterhood, and it is just a sweet tribute to her sister, those relationships that are dearest to us, and stepping up even when it's really, really hard. So I'm excited for you to meet Lila today. So let's get to my guest, Lila Francese. All right, I'm so excited to be chatting with Lila Francese today. Hi, Lila. Hi. <laughs> I was just thinking yesterday, I would love to have a daughter named Lila. Did you ever watch Friday Night Lights, that show? No, I oh, didn't. One of the characters' name is Lila Garrity, and she's from Texas. And so they say Lila, and it's like the cutest thing ever. And I'm like, oh, Lila is the cutest name, and you have it. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. I actually, I'm named after a Norwegian Finnish folktale. Oh. About, it's kind of the, one of the Romeo Juliet folktales of Scandinavia because my mom was Finnish and my dad was Norwegian. Wow. Okay. That has nothing to do with Friday Night Lights and Texas football. <laughs> <laughs> but I went to college in Texas. So okay. I, I get it. Yes. You went to SM, I, You went to SMU. Is that right? I went to SMU and I actually knew another Lila there and I think I knew two Delilah. Okay. So <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of a Southern yeah. Bell type type name. Well, Lila, I'm so glad that you came onto my radar because as I've learned a little bit about your story, I'm just blown away by the love and compassion you've had for your family stepping up in a way that many of us are never asked to. You have really become kind of a, a surrogate mom of sorts to your nephew after your sister passed away. And so we're going to talk all about that. But you also have a daughter yourself. Is that right? I do. I have a, a newly 16-year-old daughter who's eagerly awaiting getting her driver's license. <laughs> is, the, is the DMV closed? Is Are they not taking applicants They're right now? They're not taking driving, <gasps> driving tests. So she's done everything, but until they can do the passenger in the driver's passenger seat then then she can take the test so it's like every day is really long for her <laughs> oh I bet I know I remember being so excited and it's like on your birthday you get your license and I mean it, yeah you don't think of the far-reaching effects of the pandemic and you know I've talked to women who whose infertility treatments have been postponed I've talked to obviously lots of people who's wow. you know graduations and you know there's lots of things that have been canceled or postponed indefinitely but I didn't even think about the driver's license aspect either that's a bummer yeah 
Well, Lila, I just want to go back to early motherhood for you before, you know, all the craziness kind of took hold of your life. But tell me about what early motherhood looked like for you when you had your daughter. Well, I have to say, probably like every mom says, I, you know, there's no manual. So it was way harder than I thought. Um, (laughs) It was much more time consuming than I thought. You know, I kind of had that thing of, well, I'll put the baby in a a little bag on my back and just go on with life. So (laughs) that was not the case. Um, And I had a really easy baby. And I I do believe life gives you what you can handle. And I thought, oh, thank God, because she's she slept all the time. She was great. But it was still such a challenge. And I actually I just remember the relief when she was really young of my husband coming home. Um, I had taken, you know, some time off from work. And just being so grateful that there was another pair of hands to, to share her with and maybe have five minutes to myself. Yes. What I didn't realize is you don't really ever get a break. Like I always joke that I really didn't sleep for eight years, those first eight years, because after they sleep through the night, then the nightmares happen. My daughter was a sleepwalker. So I like, am too. I get it. I get it. <laughs> So there was always a new challenge and now it's, you know, she's out with friends and I'm going to stay up later than I want to because I need to know she's home safely. (laughs) Seriously. I know it just never stops, but just the worry or, or the to do's just kind of transform over time. And yeah, while you may not be getting up to feed him in the middle of the night, yeah, you do have to attend to different needs or you stay up stressed. So Hey everyone, wanted to jump in real quick and think a show sponsor, and that is Peanut. Peanut is the app that helps you meet like-minded moms and moms-to-be. It provides a safe space for mothers, expectant mothers, and those trying to conceive, a place to build friendships and ask questions and find support. So I am both in the camp of wanting to find friends in my area, and now that I'm expecting yet again, I'm also wanting to connect with those types of moms too. Plus, it's just great to have a go-to app for information, for news articles, for resources, and kind of a form to ask questions of other moms as I am doing this whole baby thing again for the first time in five years. It really does feel like a whole different world than I did last time. So whether it's understanding IVF, adoption, pregnancy, your first years of parenting or beyond, Pina is a place to connect with women like you. The app is so user-friendly. You input a little bit of information about yourself and it can help connect to people in your area. If you've struggled with meeting new friends, this might just be the app that you could use to connect with other like-minded women. You can actually download the app for free today. Head to peanut.app.link slash extraordinary, or you can find it in your app store. I am loving finding it. And if you're in my Southern California area, I would love to connect with you. So you can look for me over there as well. That's Peanut app. And I would love for you to check that out. Now let's get back to my conversation with Lila. I know that a large part of your story has to do with your sister, Carolyn. Will you tell me about your relationship with your sister? Well, we grew up very close in age in Minneapolis, which, you know, Minnesota has very cold winters. So we spent a lot of time playing inside down our basement. We had dance parties and my mom let us roller skate and roll back the carpet. And um, we just had a, you know, a great time in a really close sistership. And that really continued. Luckily, she fell in love with a guy from California and so did I. And so we both found ourselves on the West Coast, which was amazing. And um, 
you know, we always traveled together. I want to say like once we got married, the sister trips didn't end. We just took our husbands and our kids. (laughs) She traveled a lot for work. So I felt like her son was my son when he was born because she would have to be gone for two weeks. I'd have him. He actually called my closet his bed womb for a while because <laughs> we'd put his pack and play in there. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And so you always had that that close bond and your nephew was kind of already a part of, of your nuclear family, which is a really neat thing. And I think in a way, I mean, I'm a person of faith that I just believe that everything is kind of preparatory to that next thing that we don't even necessarily expect or know why, but the fact that he felt comfortable in your home and, and with you for long periods of time, that sure came to pay off, didn't it? It did. You know, um, so my sister got ill, and that's uh, that's when Matson really started living with us. She house across the street closer, mm-hmm. and they were remodeling it. So she had we had a little guest house above our garage and we made it ready for them to move into for three months while they redid the house. Little did we know she really then never left my house. Oh wow! And all six of us lived together for the duration of her illness. Wow. So tell me about that. How was she diagnosed? So my sister was diagnosed with glioblastoma brain cancer. She had a, a type of it called giant malform. Um, I never knew before, I never knew about glioblastoma before she was diagnosed. And I, um, there had been people that lived, you know, without treatment two to three months, with treatment maybe a year on average. There was one amazing guy who lived almost five um, from part of a medical trial. But it was really, first of all, devastating to hear she had brain cancer. Second of all, when they took the tumor out, the first tumor out, and diagnosed her with glioblastoma, it was it was devastating. It was like I was working, I was caring for two kids, and I was really kind of, you know, also caring for her husband who was caught in the headlights. Mm-hmm. She was a she was a bossy beaver. <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of, you know, made lists for everybody and he didn't really know what to do either. And so I suddenly found myself in charge of, you know, four different lives and then and the fifth being her. Um, and her husband and I shared taking her to treatments and 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 parental duties. So I had, like I would joke, I had a husband and a bonus husband. <laughs> <laughs> Very unorthodox, but I bet that team mentality did help to kind of bolster you through that time because you didn't feel quite so alone. You know, um, I have a first of all, I have to say I have the most wonderful patient husband in the world. We've been together um, 21 years uh, mm-hmm. at that point. This was four years ago, five years ago. I really, you really see during these moments um, the strength of your marriage and the strength of your family. And, um, you know, I was actually kind of the bad guy with my sister. I'd be the one reminding her to take her pills. And my husband was just around to make her laugh. And he's a really smiley guy. And I have to say that we, we had a lot of laughs. And I know you wouldn't think that with that um, diagnosis, but sometimes in the darkest moments, it's the moments of joy that get us through. Yeah. And, and we were, you know, we were able to find those, those moments of still laughing and supporting each other. I remember that, um, Carolyn had a really limited vocabulary, especially after her surgeries. And, um, we would play charades to kind of figure out what she wanted and we got really good at it. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, I I love that that you're able to bring the humor and the lightness to a situation that is so incredibly heavy. And I think we kind of are misinformed when we think there can't also be joy um, during those types of times. Because it's like, yes, you know the reality of the situation. And then at the same time, how do you want to spend those last few months? What memories could you make with Carolyn that would leave you feeling so much love between you to the very end, right? Did you feel like that? Well, you know, I think um, initially you go through super denial. Mm. You feel like I'm not in this with a terminally ill sister. Um, You kind of go through the stages of, you know, denial. um, And then you go, then you actually cling on to hope. And, you know, she found a great medical treatment program. And then you kind of come to reality. And I think that happened for me before her. Mm. And we, you know, it was a time in my life where I had probably the toughest conversations with people I've had in my life. That being explaining to the children, that being also really sitting down with Carolyn and saying, let's talk about what we know is the reality. And, um, and, you know, we, at first she was really angry about that. And I, I mean, I hate to even say, but she would say, um, you know, you want me to die. Mm. And, and I would say, no, honey, I know you're dying. So we need to have these conversations. Cause I, I, I want to know how you want Matson to live. And I want to know how I can make you feel good during this last part of your life. Mm. And that was really a huge emotional adjustment. Although I have to find, say that within those moments, uh, you find, you know, that um, female strength you didn't know that you had, especially when kids are involved, you know? Yeah. I mean, the days that I would feel really low, I just had to look at those kids and be like, I got to get through this for them. And that is such a hard part, you know, valuing and acknowledging your own emotions and your own struggle through this. I mean, you're so close to your sister. You love her. And that loss is very real for you. But then also feeling like you need to stay strong for them. So how did you kind of compartmentalize that? Or how did you express what you were going through, you know, even with them watching you and and modeling kind of how to go through this grieving process? Well, I think it's really important, especially with children, that we don't end game. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean we don't keep talking about what's going to happen. Okay. Um, so I found that keeping a daily schedule and keeping life relatively normal helped us just get through the day by day. So I never said, oh, this could happen or this might happen. We would address it when it happened. Okay. And I think, you know, like Matson was really little when his mom got sick and Uh, At seven years old, you don't understand mom's going to see the doctor for brain cancer any different than mom isn't mom's seeing the doctor for a cold. So, you know, you I I really had to um, remember that. And then I also really spoke to both of them just very simply. But, um, you know, I never lied and said she's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. I never said this isn't hard. Some days, um, Matson would be crying, and I would say, "I know this is this is so hard." Yeah. And how was your daughter during this time? What's the age difference between Matson and your daughter? It's um, th- sometimes two, sometimes three years. But okay. um, actually, that she and my sister were super close. Again, mm. we really had 
lived since the beginning of her life as two moms and two dads. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, she was older and she understood what was going on. Um, sometimes I would send the kids to school and, um, my daughter's name is Fliss and Fliss, Fliss would say to me, um, I don't want to go. I, what's going on here? Like she would know things were happening or there was a treatment happening and she wanted to be there with me. It, It was such a comfort for me to have her because just to have another female presence in my life besides my sister, um, just, I guess was super comforting because it kind of reminded me of, you know, the, she looks, first of all, so much like my sister Hmm. and, um, to have like, to have those memories of what my sister was like that young and then be seeing my daughter experience that we really, you know, we were buddies going through it together and she was amazing with Matson, just, you know, truly, truly incredible of, just saying, I'm here for you. You're going to be with me your whole life. Yeah. Still chokes me up. <laughs> yeah, I can I can only imagine. That is really tender. And I think that's such a testament to the fact that as parents, so many times we want to keep our kids from challenges and we don't want them to have to go through hard things. But it really is beautiful seeing how your daughter responded with such compassion and love to her cousin during this really terrible time and it definitely I'm sure transformed her life as it as much as it did you and and certainly for Madsen as well losing a parent has to be terrible I can't I I don't know what that's like I can't even imagine and you know going through different phases not having your mom there would be very very difficult but without a doubt I think yeah you learned so much from that experience as well and it and it builds you up in ways you wouldn't have to in another situation you know I have to say there were I had already lost my father and my husband had already lost his father to how we would feel if that Mm. makes sense and we I actually was very thankful that I had had that big loss Mm. to help me deal with this loss now those losses were more sudden Mm. they weren't you know 14 months of a terminal illness which is very different but I think just experiencing loss um, really in even small ways before uh, somebody else who might be closer to you dies really helps. Um, I remember that my daughter had lost a chicken. We When we first moved to Ojai, which is about an hour out of L.A., we were like, oh, we're in the country. Let's get chickens. <laughs> and, of course, with the country comes coyotes and all of that. And one of her chickens died that she had named Tasha, and she loved this chicken. And at that point, she was in preschool, and I said to her preschool teacher, I don't, I don't know how to talk to her about death. I mean, this was actually even before my father died. And, um, and my, my, my daughter's preschool teacher said, you know, the best thing you can say to a little kid is, you know, Tasha the chicken did not need her body anymore, mm-hmm. and her body just got, you know, too sick, and so her spirit went somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And we use that again with Carolyn with Matson of just saying you know her spirit you know is going somewhere else yeah that's a beautiful way of explaining it and that is a really hard conversation and sometimes you just don't feel like you have the words but did you also take the approach of kind of asking more questions and providing answers I've heard that's a really great approach for kids like how are you feeling what do you think about it what do you know or you know things like that 
Definitely. And I think also just even that mirroring technique with kids, Yes. when they say something to you, like I'm really missing mom, validating what they're saying to you. And I would say, I hear that you're really missing mom today. Mm. And I'm also missing her. And why don't we make mom a drawing? And then when she comes home, we can put it in her room and she'll know what we were doing while she was gone. You know, Mm. things like that. So mirroring, and validating what they say, and then also sometimes giving them an activity, um, like I was saying, like let's draw a picture for mom, helps give make them feel like they're doing something too, because adults yeah. are always doing something during those rough times. We're calling friends or we're making food, and kids feel helpless, I think. So we all sort of were having jobs together, so we all felt like we were caring for her, and we were all in the experience together. I love that. That is such a great thought, giving them a role in the caretaking um, when even when they're young and it, it might be limited what they're able to do. Yeah, that yeah. is that's really beautiful. Yeah, my husband lost his mom when he was 14 and he had a younger brother that was eight. And so, you know, from the stories that he tells me, I can certainly relate to those tender ages. And there's a lot of life for these kids left to live after the passing of a parent. How has Madsen been doing? You said Carolyn lived 14 months. Is that correct? She she lived 14 months. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I think every family is really different. And uh, what's funny is I was sort of talking about this in another interview I did where I was saying how we're living now. And, and um, some people were surprised, but... Matson actually lives with me. Hmm. Um, I have a wonderful relationship with his father. His father is here almost every night for dinner and sometimes for breakfast. He lives two blocks away. But um, what we discovered was that after, um, after Carolyn died and their house was finished across the street, they tried to go back there for sort of the remainder of that school year, which was third grade. And um, Matson did not do well. He um, he needed a tighter ship, <laughs> I guess, and my sister ran a really tighter ship, and and we had uh, and of course he was just depressed, and sometimes I think it's really I I was so thankful for his fourth grade teacher then who said to us like, is this going to be a year that you feel like Matson has um, room to grow, or is this going to be a year when we just need to let him be and heal? And I was so thankful for that. Hmm. Um, he goes to a really amazing school uh, called Oak Grove School in Ojai, California. It's actually the reason we moved here to send the children there. And um, it was so great to have that support from a teacher who really understood, like, you know what? He's really little, and his whole year, his work might be just about getting over his mother. Yeah. But he ended up um, kind of wishing he could do better than he was doing and Chris, his dad, was wishing that he was doing better than he was doing. And uh, Chris just said, you know, I think Matson would do better living with you during the week. Mm-hmm. And so we moved Matson in uh, to my house with me and my husband and my daughter. And, and I feel like he's really thriving now. He's on the cross-country team. He has three adult parent figures. In fact, during quarantine, mm-hmm. we've even had my husband's brother here, Uncle Sage, who they adore. Wow. <laughs> and so we've had, we've had, you know, more parents here even. And, and it's just, it's been our way of finding, I guess, our, our modern family. Yes. 
and seeing what works. And the best thing is Matson's dad and I and my husband, we've always been on the same page. What's best for Matson? Yeah. And sometimes he'll say, I just want a day alone with my dad. And we say, great. And I'll say, let's call him. And we call Chris and say, Matson's really feeling like he wants a dad day. And they'll go for a hike um, or play a video game or, or you know, just just be together. Um, right now, they're actually camping for a couple of weeks, visiting grandparents in Oregon. And so he, I think, I feel like the family's been really good about talking about what we need and telling each other too, when we can't handle it and we need help. Hey everybody, I know you're feeling just as inspired as I am by Lila and her story, but I wanted to thank a show sponsor who is actually a former guest. It's Dr. Mary Wild. She's an integrative pediatrician, a mom of eight, uh-huh, and the creator of a membership community called Compassion Parenting. She offers support to moms wanting to find more presence, grounding, and joy in parenting. Because of her expertise, particularly in ADHD and childhood anxiety, she can be a great resource to parents of kids with these struggles. I know that I'm going to be signing up. Her membership is only $17 a month, includes two group sessions per month, inspiring email series to go along with journal prompts, a free ticket to a mom's retreat, an uplifting Facebook community, access to expert interviews, and so much more. You can go to CompassionParenting.com to learn more and register. Doors close at midnight September 11th. So hopefully you're listening to this the week that it airs so you don't miss that deadline of September 11th. If you have a child that struggles with ADHD or childhood anxiety, this could be the resource that you are looking for. And if you miss the deadline, you can get on the waiting list. Now more than ever, we need support from other wise moms and experts, and we need community. Be sure to check out Compassion Parenting with Dr. Mary Wild, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you so much to Mary for sponsoring the show. Now let's finish up with Lila. That is so beautiful. And I really have to commend his dad because that takes a lot of humility to realize there's a different situation that is better for my child and to still be present and active and everything, but realize logistically and emotionally and just having more probably just noise around him to be able to absorb the grief and absorb just the huge loss that's in the hole that was there when his mom passed I really respect that out of his dad and I mean not to relate it back to our family but my um, husband's brother also ended up living with his sister at some point and it was much healthier for him and happier for him. And it really helped him to thrive as well. So I think you can't underestimate needing to be creative and to, I mean, things aren't normal anymore. So you just really have to create that new normal. And sometimes I think like with kids, like his, my brother-in-law is a, you know, he's a computer guy. And so it's very quiet at his home a sure. lot. And he's on, on the computer and dealing with his software company and, um, you know, my house is a crazy house. We have three dogs. <laughs> There's always people coming in and out. We've moved my mother out here. She's in and out of the house. I think kids like that. Yes. They kind of love the chaos of a family a little bit um, instead of just a, a very silent place. You know, there's always, I guess, over here, someone to engage with. Mm -hmm. um, there's always something to get involved with. And uh, I think that's why his dad's over here a lot, too. Sure. Uh, you know. Yeah, I can I can see that. And it just kind of helps you to to feel a little bit more distracted from from the whole, right? And to yes. realize there's there's life to be lived after that. And from what I understand about Carolyn, she would want you to keep living, right? And and I think so many oh, times yeah. we feel 
and I've heard from other people who have experienced loss, it's like you feel almost guilty resuming life and laughing again and being happy and creating memories without them. But really, there's no reason for our lives to stop. And the person that's gone wouldn't wish that upon anybody in the wake of their, their passing. I mean, I have to say the difficult moments are like when I go to his, you know, I went to his sixth grade graduation, which was a big deal because then he was going to junior high. And, you know, I have to kind of sit in the back row because those kind of moments will always choke me up. They will always be difficult because I'm always thinking, God, I wish he was here. But, um, but we do go on and we do, we do find, find joy and we find a way to move forward. Um, I think that's, what's great about the human spirit. I do believe that we always hold hope for happiness. That for me as a mom too, the best way to do that was actually, you know, writing the book became like how I dealt with it. And it was a journal that I then added chapters of my childhood with Carolyn through the 70s to 2014. And um, that became sort of the way that I discovered my own journey and then discovering that own journey, um, and accepting it, uh, gave me the power to move forward. That is a beautiful way to put it, holding hope for happiness. And sometimes in the beginning, it's literal moments of happiness, you know, like you still may be grieving so deeply and so much may still be sad, but there's moments where you can see, okay, that feels more like that joy that we used to feel and that happiness. And we can, we can cultivate more of that. Is that kind of how it felt? Yeah. And you know, I think what's funny is how your happiness changes too over time. Like now it's been four years. And, um, at first when we talked about her, we would cry, but now when we talk about, we laugh because she was extraordinarily funny. Mm. And I want to say funny and spicy like you know she'd say stuff like oh stop it go put your big girl pants on and let's go to me you know like and so we talk about her colloquialisms you know and her idiomatic expressions that were um so funny and uh now when we talk about her we laugh or even Matson will say oh I remember this time that my mom did this and and that's so great like he feels comfortable now to share stories that are beyond his grief. Yeah, and you showing that comfort with bringing her up allows him that space to also bring her up, right? Because you might, you know, people tend to walk on eggshells after someone passes away. And it's like, oh, if I bring it up, they'll remember and it'll resurface everything. But you're you're not forgetting anyways. You know, you know what has happened and that's not far away from the surface at any given moment for you. So bringing it up just acknowledges that they were a part of your life and a big part. And I think we as modern moms have a really great system that works with that in our culture, because I'll tell you, I didn't know until I started getting the book came out on May 5th for Brain cancer awareness month. Mm. And I didn't know how people would respond to it. And, you know, I kind of wasn't thinking, well, how is the generation older than me going to respond to it? Cause you know, you just don't think like who's going to be reading it. Mm-hmm. And I remember I got one of the first emails I got was from this woman and it just said, thank you so much for um, writing the book. It helped me get through my own grief 50 years later. And she said, I lost my mother. And in that day and age, they just swooped me up, sent me to a relative's home and we never spoke about her again. Wow. 
And I was shocked. And I actually said to my mom, who's almost 80, was that like a cultural norm? And she said, it kind of was, you know, it wasn't the age that we have now where we've been told as moms um, and dads and relatives, let's talk about it. Let's get through it. Let's deal with it. It was more, let's sweep it under the rug culture. Yes. Yeah. And, and no matter how old you are, finally figuring out you have that permission to, to process it or, or talk about it or, or get yep. help. Get help if you feel like you're stuck and you've buried that and it's holding you back. Right? Yes. It's never too late. Yes. I think um, another woman had written me and said, it was uh, so wonderful to read your book because my sister died of cancer. And I didn't know till the night before she died because she and her husband told no one. <gasps> and so I never got those closing moments and I didn't understand maybe what her journey was. So reading the book helped with that journey. And again, it was a, a woman from a generation older than me. And it was just so powerful to hear that. And then also sort of just validate um, the journey we've been through as a family, like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that we had the gift of knowing mm. that we had limited time with her to create memories still, or, you know, just like the gift of knowing that we were able to care for her and then we were able to experience it as a family and no one was hiding anything from anyone. That was, that was a huge gift. Yeah. You, I don't know. I think it's a common question that we, kind of ask ourselves, like, would you rather know how long you have or when you're going to pass away or have it be unexpected? Right. Because there's, you know, pros and cons of both, really. But the fact is, we all don't know how long we have. And so that idea of just seizing the day and appreciating what you have and making every moment count as much as possible, I mean, you can't go wrong with that philosophy regardless. But there is something beautiful about that preparation that comes with with honoring that person while they're still with you in, in their dying days. And I'm sure Carolyn would revere everyone in the family for being there to support her through all that. Well, and what's funny is I love what you said about, um, you know, celebrating now in a new way. And we do, I mean, this is so funny. I, I don't really share this with many, but we eat off our sterling silver dinnerware that was my grandmother's. <laughs> <laughs> Fancy, Lila. <laughs> we started doing that after Carolyn died. Really? And we started using the good wine glasses. And like, hey, tonight, let's eat on the china. And, you know, wow. it was like, life is short. And we all learned that lesson. And so there's nice things. Why are they tucked away in a cupboard? Let's, let's use them. See, that is such a great example. And, you know, it can seem kind of silly, but it's really not because it's really such a representation of what you've taken away from this experience. And, you know, that dress you're saving in the closet or, you know, not wanting to wear out something. It's like if you bought it in the first place, if you have it in your life at all, like it's meant to be enjoyed and, and used. So, Lila, I want to know, going through this experience, I mean, have I don't have a sister. I have two brothers and I always wanted a sister. I think that bond is so... <laughs> special and wonderful except for the like sharing clothes and stealing each other's clothes and stuff I've heard that's dramatic but I don't know yeah, we, we did that we did that those were our, those were our biggest fights okay our... there you go so I'm right I'm right on but I just think that's such a special bond and then losing that person who had such a special place in your life and going on to take on her son kind of as your own now 
what would you say has been the biggest lesson that you've learned or, um, I don't know, how has it transformed who you are and how you mother now? Gosh, that's such a huge question. I, I think there's a couple aspects to that. Like one is it's not just moving on. Um, it's not just moving on after her death, like the loss of my sister, but it's really moving on with the loss of my best friend mm. with my biggest confidant in motherhood. Um, you know, we talked nine times a day. We shared everything about this. If there was a problem at school, you know, we vented to each other or asked each other's advice. So um, I really had to make an uh, heroic effort, I want to say, to make some of my female friendships closer mm -hmm. or call on my friends to have that female voice I needed to replace that voice of Carolyn. Although I do say I, I am the crazy person who might be talking to her out loud in my bathroom <laughs> while I'm blow drying my hair. Um, you know, and I do feel like sometimes I hear her laughter or I know automatically what she would want, but also just making a support system for myself as a mom that included other important female voices and sources that could, I would don't want to say replace, but add to my life to keep me a strong woman to, you know, inform me as a mom and just make me be able to uh, navigate the waters of motherhood for Matson and Fliss um, in a new way, but also in as equally strong and supportive way as it, as it was when I had the support of my sister. Wow, that is such an incredible insight because a lot of times I ask people too, like, how did you feel most supported or what can somebody on the outside do to support you or, you know, what do they do to support your sister during that journey? And I've heard again and again from people, it's kind of like, you know, when somebody that I talked to got divorced, they said, you know, I was no longer hearing that I was like doing a good job because like my, my kids weren't telling me. And so then oh. when, the, when my spouse left, it was like, nobody saw what I was doing. And so having anybody come in and acknowledge what I was doing kind of replaced that for me. And it felt so good. And so I think what you're saying is really interesting too. It's like knowing that your go-to person for motherhood questions or, you know, releasing or venting or whatever it is, stepping up in that way and saying, you know, Hey, how are you doing? How are things going for your girls? And, you know, and, and, and just kind of filling in that role, not to replace them, but to kind of fill that void that now you're, you're in need of that, that support and that community of other moms, because you don't have that in the same way anymore. And other moms are great because, you know, we, what you need too is to vent to someone who's not going to judge you, yeah. you know, more than like saying, Hey, what do you think? It's also the moments of, Oh my God, today I was the worst mom. I totally was late to pick the kids up because I forgot, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I was 10 minutes late and they were, the teacher had to call me and they were sitting on the bench and I was so <laughs> awful. I was the worst mom today. And then having a friend say, Oh no, you weren't like I left my kid at the dry cleaner on yes. the chair in the corner and had to go back when I got to the end of the block. You know what I mean? Right. Just like, that kind of support too of like being like having support for not having to be perfect exactly just the normalcy and so yeah bringing back that normalcy and conversation and things um i think that's beautiful just to kind of wrap up what do you want madsen to know about his mom well that's really interesting 
um, to say because I thought a lot about that when she was sick. And I actually, I don't know if you know this, but I started an art foundation no. in her, her name called the Carolyn Glasso Bailey Foundation or the CGB Foundation. And it provides, Carolyn was a, a very well-known art dealer and she had a really big voice in that community. And what I really wanted for him was to remember the extraordinary person she was in that realm of her life. Mm. And um, so I started an art foundation that provides arts education and arts residencies and support for artists like his mom did. And um, he will always know that. I hope he's always involved with the foundation. Um, You know, it started very little uh, as a very little thing. And now it's become a much bigger thing. Um, We have a uh, offshoot of it called the Ojai Institute now that artists can come study at. And um, that's what I wanted Matheson to remember because I knew he would remember her hugs and I knew that he would remember how beautiful she was from her pictures. But I also wanted him to know the fiercely generous woman that she was in terms of her work Mm. and in terms of her commitment to daily culture in our community. That is so cool because you're so right that he is going to remember the relationship he had with her but I think there's so much power in modeling the other facets of ourselves for our kids and when he doesn't see that growing up that's going to be harder for him to connect those dots so the fact that you were able to put that into place so you can really tell him yes she loved being your mom and she was this And the other artists who work with us tell him that a lot. They'll say, Matson, I knew your mom. God, was she amazing. When I had no money, she flew me out to meet this art dealer in Miami and launched my career. I mean, they tell him extraordinary stories of her that I didn't even know half the time. And that, that has been an extra surprise in creating that foundation. Wow. And no doubt the book that you've written will continue on as a legacy of Carolyn in your relationship. And he'll be able to refer back to that in a very, very special, special way. And I think that's such a beautiful way to honor anyone that has passed, whether it's a a book that you publish or just journals that you keep or whatever it is, whatever your manifestation of it is, letting their legacy continue on for generations really is such a neat way to honor them. So tell people where they can find the book and, and check that out. So there's a website called thesituationbook.com that has links to be able to buy the book. You can also follow us on Instagram at at the situation book. The full title of the book is The Situation, A Radical Journey Through Sisterhood. And you can buy it at Amazon, Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop, Goodreads, lots of places on the mm-hmm. web. So um, you, you should be able to find it. It's I, I will say it's uh, it's a quick read because uh, apparently people have said, you know, we don't want to put it down, but it also can be really happy and really sad. So pour yourself a glass of wine and, and read the book. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. Congratulations. That is a huge feat um, to not only write the book, but then to get it so many places and available, you know, everywhere books are sold. So that is tremendous. It's been amazing, and I, I, I didn't really realize um, how uh, how much it would be accepted and, and really the feedback we'd be getting. And honestly, that's the best part of the publishing process. Mm-hmm. So if, if anyone does read it, 
please respond on the website or put in a review what you thought because what I want to hear about how it helped women. That's why I wrote it yeah. so other people could get through their journey. Oh, that is so encouraging. And I think there's something we can learn from everybody's stories, even if they're very different from our own. So regardless of whether this is a personal connection that you have to a story like this or not, definitely worth checking out. But if you have gone through something like this, the validation and camaraderie and community that you feel when you're like, oh, I remember those days and oh, oh, I wasn't alone in in feeling this way or having it you know, go this way. And I think that is so incredible to be able to connect in that way. So congratulations, Lila. This is just so wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank thank you for mentioning the book. (laughs) Of course, of course. Well, Lila, I always ask my guests just one final question and it's this, what would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Oh gosh, that's such a great question. Mm I would tell my pre-motherhood self that don't have any doubts that you can do this. Remember how strong you are. Put your big girl pants on. (laughs) Carolyn! (laughs) And and just, yeah, and just move forward. Yeah, I love that. Well, I didn't even say in this interview yet, but I am so sorry about the loss of your sister. And I will say also, I think she would be so, so proud of you and so grateful to the lengths you've gone for her family, for her son, and for writing this book so that more people can know her. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, the best part of the book, too, is it just isn't a book about, um, you know, it's a a book about sisters and a book about siblings and a book about those deep relationships we have in our life that help us get through periods of time and teach us lessons and move forward. Yeah, wonderful. Well, all the best to you and your family and to Madsen. You too. Thank you so much. I love these episodes so much that really focus around relationships. And even with the most challenging of circumstances and outcomes, seeing the incredible impact that a sisterly relationship can have and the way that that relationship can morph over time into love for your nephew as your own. It's a really beautiful thing coming out of a very, very challenging time. And I just admire Lila so much for stepping up in that role and, you know, undoubtedly serving Carolyn's family in a way that I'm sure Carolyn is elated with. So thank you so much to Lila for being on the show. I'm linking to her book over in the show notes and every uh, show sponsor, including Dr. Mary Wild and of course, Peanut app. That'll be at extraordinarymomspodcast.com as well. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica Dahlquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast this week, and we will see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.